Welcome to the third episode of Dumbled Belkia Season 11 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and making his return after 12 episodes of swanning around the world is the Canadian who is used to wading through a mountain of shit thanks to his preparations for Amazing Race Canada on top. Thanks to his preparations for Amazing Race Canada on top. Dorian, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's been a long, long time. At, at this point, it's well over three months since you've bothered speaking to me. <laughs> When was our last recording? Sometime in December, right? It was just after Christmas. I think it was New Year's like, Eve, maybe. Yeah, it was some. I know it was we because we, we were uh, we were blasting through a certain season of something uh, right before I left on January fourth. I think we finished right before the end of last year, so I think we're hovering right around three months. It was December thirtieth. Yeah, because we squeezed it in over the holidays with Michelle. We did, which sort of narrows down which show we're talking about, to be perfectly honest. but No, it narrows it down to three I can think of. I mean, I think we have said what the next Historians is going to be. We've not said anything <laughs> past that, but we've said what the next one's going to be, because, you know, we promised it last year and it didn't happen. So, it's back and it's stronger. And, um, yeah, on the whole you not talking to me point, I think I actually cut the joke I made to Bindles last week, the week before, where you where you messaged me going, yeah, I haven't really been talking to anyone in the last three months. <laughs> That's very true. I would I would just be traveling around and then open up my messages to, and, and then realize, oh, yeah, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really DM'd anybody for, sometimes it would be four or five days at a time, and if I had DM'd somebody... It would be just one line and that was it. And I think it's the least I've ever posted on my Facebook while traveling too. There'd be some days I'd log into Facebook and I hadn't posted anything for sometimes it was close to a week. That's never happened in 10 years or so. (laughs) Yeah, like as much as we joke obviously about your fake suspicions and all that sort of nonsense that we did while you're away. Genuinely, we had no idea what your suspicions were most of those weeks. Yeah, there is a... What was it? I think it was right around when I was in Vietnam, where I was about to watch the episode, and then two weeks would go by and then realize, oh, I have two episodes to catch up on. Or close to three. It was two episodes, and then the the following episode was released later that same day. Yeah, I mean... This last week's suspicions I only put up on, was it Monday morning, I think? Yeah, Monday morning, UK time, was when I actually published your suspicions, because you finally sent them over. Yeah. However, I don't know if you mentioned on the podcast, but I ran into a lot of Dutch backpackers while traveling, so any new subscribers you have may or may not be attributed to me while, while I traveled around from hostel to hostel. There may have been more jokes at your expense as a result of that. <laughs> and by may, I mean definitely were. Because the week after you first told me that, I think we made more Logan is a deviant jokes than we've ever done before in an episode. Just to introduce the Dutch backpackers to uh, to the experience of you being on this podcast. Yeah, so that, was, that, that always tends to happen when I go backpacking. There's Dutch backpackers everywhere, especially in Southeast Asia. It's like... Uh... It's like a traveling salesman almost. Just travel around and get subscribers for you. I appreciate your efforts. Have you been up to much since you've been away for three months? What have I been up to in those three months? 
Yeah, bear in mind that we don't tend to talk about you apart from calling you a deviant on the podcast, so nobody will know these stories unless they've followed you on Instagram. So, let's see. Uh, so, what was I up to in my three-month absence? So, let's see. Not a whole lot. I went to Japan, Philippines, Taiwan, South Korea, Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, uh, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, United Arab Emirates, Uzbekistan, Turkey, Germany, Denmark, Sweden. But other than that, I haven't been up to a whole lot. And I updated my world map on Twitter of countries I've been. I'm now up to 63 countries. And uh, yeah, I'm um, over two-thirds of the way to the Amazing Races country count, the American version, that is. And at this point, you're about nine times the number of countries that Amazing Race Canada has been to. Um, yeah, they've been, what, 10 or 11? I think it's six. I got about six times more than them, yeah. Let's not exaggerate. We're prone to hyperbole here. And chances are that count is going to stay the same way, given they haven't been outside of Canada for the past two seasons now. Yeah. Two and a third seasons. And um, I've had a bit of a busy week. Oh yeah? What, what have you been up to? Well, um, I, I have actually been wondering the best way to say this, because I've been keeping a bit of a secret from you guys especially, in that last Friday, I bought a house. <laughs> You bought a house? Cash? Yeah. <laughs> so since January, I have been secretly squirreling away trying to um, trying to find a house. Because, I mean, I turned 30 a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I got the keys on Friday. So it's a whole house and it's just, just you're going to live by yourself in there? Yeah. So I got a, a pretty good deal on, uh, on a brand new house. It's literally brand new. And um, yeah, Friday I got the keys, so I finished work early. And then Saturday, Saturday I was up there. Monday I was up there, and Tuesday as we're recording this, I was uh, I was up there again today for various irritating reasons that I'll probably get into in a minute. But um, yeah, so it's just just under your name. The house is just you, paid with your money. Yep, and a mortgage, obviously. But yeah, uh, like one bedroom, two bedroom, three, four. Three. Three three bedroom house and it's just yep. wow, that's impressive for thirty. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I deliberately told my parents not to put anything on social media just so you, Michelle, and Aunt wouldn't see it because none of you know yet. And I'm going to surprise them when we do hunted. Got a house, Jesus. That's in BC for a lot of people, a huge number of people. That's just unfathomable to have a house just as one person by yourself, unless you go work in the oil rigs and then come back. I can confirm that I am not paying BC rates. Yeah, I'm sure you've 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 seen how expensive it is in BC. I have indeed. I mean, you know my parents well enough. You know that they would have not got me a terrible deal. But I've just sent you a picture of my kitchen. Jeez, it looks a bit busier than that now because uh, it's got an unbuilt dining table and dining chairs and bar stools in there now as well. As of this morning, you're a homeowner. Mm. I am a raging homeowner. <laughs> what was does Ben Bindles know? Yeah, Bindles has known since I started doing it. <laughs> We've not said a word. I mean, there was a bit of a reference in the premiere recap of this season when I said something along the lines of um Lancelot's an estate agent and Sammy is a, a lawyer and God they really want me to hate this cast immediately. Because I had some interesting times with the uh the solicitors who I had to deal with because they were idiots. And um 
they got a bit arsy with me because they'd sent through, they posted me loads of forms that I had to sign and get my next door neighbours to witness to say that I was who I am. And uh, they missed off one of the pages. So they got a bit arsy with me when they thought I hadn't posted it back. And I'm like, no, I literally posted you back everything that you sent me, you morons. And then they, right after that, were asking for reviews on Trustpilot, which obviously wasn't going to succeed for them. So for their sake, I've not given them the one-star review they deserve. And then, because it is a brand new home, obviously getting loads of parcels from Amazon, that's why I was up there yesterday, because I had four different big parcels to get delivered. And three of them ordered through Amazon. The dining table was ordered separately, but the uh, the three ordered th- through Amazon. One of them came via courier. That was absolutely fine. And bearing in mind, my address has been on Google for a week and a half at this point. The two from Amazon, I got the tracking as normal, and I'm like, that looks like it's going to an address about 18 miles away. So contacted Amazon customer service, and they said, no, don't worry about it. It'll definitely come to your house. And then I got a call off the driver about an hour later going, yeah, I've just tried to deliver to this address, and it's not yours. So uh, you need to contact Amazon customer service. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Contacted them, and then they said, oh, we can reschedule it for Tuesday. And bearing in mind, I live at the moment, and currently staying in my parents' house, which is about 30 miles away. So that's a hell of a lot of fuel I'm going to have to burn to go up there. So went there today. I wasn't even planning on it. I was going back on Thursday anyway, but I wasn't going back today. Went up there first thing this morning so I could work from there. Got an email saying it'll be delivered between 9 and 11.10. And 11.30 came around. Didn't hear anything off them. Oh, for God's sake. And I had another parcel come from Amazon this afternoon, literally right before I was leaving to come back down here. And it got delivered to that same wrong address again, that one. And the two big parcels have not been delivered at all today, so I was completely on the warpath with them. They've already given me a lot of money back, put it that way. But um, yes, I've had a very ragey day, for want of a better term. <laughs> yes, as uh, some of the admins at Amazing Race fans would say, we've really gone down the hill by the sounds of it over the past uh, three months. You got your own house, and uh, I completed my goal of reaching 60 countries by the time I was uh, 30. Only missed that by a year. So yeah, we've really gone downhill. We have, in my defense, I have had a broadly easy house buying uh, situation so far. This is the first time that I've been getting properly fucked off with people about it. But they're going to try re-delivering again on Thursday, and if it doesn't turn up then, then they're giving me a full refund, and they're going to give me a lot more than the full refund because of the pure inconvenience of having to go 120 mile round trip over three days because of their incompetence. Jeez. It's funny, a couple days ago, um, a couple days ago on Reddit, I had my own thread on Mason Race Reddit there, and somebody was asking, oh, what are you looking forward to uh, talking about season 23 of the Mason Race the next season for Tarstorian? I said, well, it was the first time that RTV Warriors recorded a podcast for the finale, and it's creeping up on 10 years, and it's cool to think about how much has happened in nearly 10 years since we very first recorded, and now here we are 10 years later, and everyone's in vastly different situations now compared to then. Yeah, I mean, I said this to Bindles when we recorded in episode one, I don't think I kept it in the edit in the end, but I, I said to him, it's really weird being on the precipice of 30 as I was at the time, because that was released the day before my 30th birthday. And knowing that this year we've got episode 500 coming, we've got the 10th anniversary coming, which, to be honest, we're not going to celebrate in an episode because everything will have been scheduled by that point. But 
that's beside the point. And all of these big life changes that obviously he knew about that I wasn't talking about deliberately on the podcast, so I didn't jinx it. And yeah, it's really, really weird to think that in nearly eight months' time, we're going to be 10 years old on this podcast. We're all in a completely different decade than we were when we started it, which is weird. Yeah, we'll be at the second decade of the podcast, much like how the Mulbelkia is now in its, well, not second decade, I guess, since they had that huge break <laughs> before Argentina's season, but their 11th year of, of producing a season. That is what we call in radio a beautiful segue. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, how long do people want to listen to, th- to this part of it? Proper handbrake turn. I mean, everyone was expecting this episode to to be a lot of us just not talking about the episode and then me going, ah, fuck, I've got two hours of stuff to edit. So first things first, who did you suspect last week, seeing as though it was very last minute that we actually found it out? Okay, so my week two suspicions from top to bottom. Oh, Bendel's going to have another joke about that. Uh, Layla, Ruben, Twos, Thomas... Comfort, or Kami as she's now frequently referred to, which is hilarious given I just went through Vietnam and Cambodia, Lancelot, Lancelot, and then Connie. How did you feel about your pool draw out of interest? Who Who is my pool draw, just as a quick reminder? Yeah, you really haven't been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> what we're this we're podcasting about a show about powers of observation and you're saying i'm not being observant at all i mean you might have been inviting a lot of people to listen to the podcast but you've not been doing it yourself we both know <laughs> it yeah i haven't been listening or talking to anybody i've been my own my own little world traveling the world i said this to bindles off air but like i knew you hadn't been listening purely because there are some jokes that you would have been like no dude that's a bit too far for you (laughs) (laughs) it's better if i i i I had that in the back of my mind i'm thinking hmm if i listen to this how many jokes are there going to be at my expense (laughs) all of them so your pool team in order were ruben lila thomas and connie ruben lila thomas connie yeah connie and then I originally had Lancelot, Comfort, Toast, and Samia, but then Samia obviously got executed, and mm-hmm. Lisa Lot subbed in for her on my team. Yeah, I feel good, yeah. So it was Ruben, Lila, Thomas, and Connie. Yeah, I'm good about Ruben, Thomas, and Lila. I discounted Connie after, uh, definitely after that second episode. So I had, it's interesting that all, all of the people I suspected the least have all been executed in a row. It's just because you're too good at this game. <laughs> yeah. Flashback to last season of Venom. <laughs> Two other things I do want to ask you about before we actually start this episode proper. Number one, what did you think of the Mateo twist? Other than it being hilarious. Yeah, it reminded me of with the Masonry Canada during season seven where they had that last minute pull to bring back a past fan favorite team and they bring back Jet and Dave. A team that was very, very strong in their first season. The only team from Amazing Race Canada that I would say has has been a major breakout character that people remember over time. Thinking, oh, this is the team that's going to carry the season, go all the way to the end. The big gimmick twist is going to last the whole season. And then Jet and Dave have the most embarrassing leg performance probably in Amazing Race Canada history and go home first. Spoiler alert. And... and here we are, the big twist is, oh, we're going to have uh, 
the second biggest celebrity in the Mobelia history after Willie Summers, and this person's going to be a contestant. And that's the big draw for the season. And he's gone by the end of the first episode. Not to mention his terrible cover of calling himself Steve. Steve Teo. It's just delicious when that sort of stuff happens. I know Papa Bear will have words with me for how much I've been reveling in how funny that was, but oh, it's just beautiful. I mean, uh, you couldn't have written it any better. The whole twist, oh, what's how? What's it going to be like week to week for Mateo, the actor that everyone knows? Oh, he's it's only been an hour and he's already gone. <laughs> and the other thing I want to ask you about is Arizona is a location. I presume you are quite pro it. I am still very smug because we kind of called it on the Oregon Historians episodes. Yeah, Arizona, I would say, is a pretty awesome location to use for the mole. And I guess I think we've had multiple conversations about using Arizona for the mole. We definitely talked about Belkia during a proper Wild West season, and I'm pretty sure we did suggest Arizona in those episodes. Do you think they listened to it and ran with it? Because that was quite a while ago now. Yeah, that was that was two years ago at this point, I think. Yeah, so there's a high probability that we could take credit for that for this location. I mean, even if we weren't a part of it, I'm still taking credit anyway, just for fun. Yeah, just our little own little delusion of grandeur. So previously, nine candidates threw valuables off a train while Lila and Reuben got a secret mission to drive slowly. A wonderful wake-up saw everyone get up close and personal with the drill sergeant while Sammy and Lisa Lot protected their potatoes. In the end, it was Sammy who was shut out as she got the second red screen of the season. Twos isn't a real name! <laughs> Did you listen to that bonus clip that I uh, I managed to source after editing the podcast last week? I think I got to listen to the first first chunk of the clip. I think about twenty seconds of it. So Bindles did point out after we uh, after we'd finished recording last week that they didn't actually show the thing from the from the next time trailer in episode one of, of Thomas being told that he was going to get fucking pain. <laughs> So I had a look on the website and it took me far longer than you'd anticipate. And there is a secret scene of three more people getting their roasts from uh, from the drill from sergeant. The drill sergeant? Yeah. One of them was Thomas being told he was gonna get fucking pain. Sammy gets roasted for being a lawyer, and Ruben has some sort of cobbler thrown in his face, I seem to remember, because he's a pastry chef. <laughs> Who did Jill Costa come up with this or the drill sergeant come up with this? I think the drill sergeant came up with it, but it just—it was just brilliant. If you can actually find the video, it's it's wonderful. But um, I did put the audio on the Bob's Bar Discord last week because it just—it really made me laugh. They could use the drill sergeant for the Comedy Central roast from now on. Yeah, forget Jeffrey Ross. Just just use that guy. The even better thing is he's not a real drill sergeant, and more importantly, he was also on Dawson's Creek. He was. Oh, wait, was he the father from Dawson's Creek? Now, Bindle sent a screenshot of him in Dawson's Creek, but he was in Dawson's Creek, amongst other things. Which character? Because I've seen pretty much the whole series. Granted, it's been, that was back in university, so that was over ten years ago, but definitely seen almost all the episodes for it. He was Brady in Dawson's Creek. That sounds very, very familiar. And, yeah, I can't see anything that says he was actually in the military. But he's an actor, he's called Bot Floyd. And he was tagged by Papa Bear Gilles de Costa in Instagram, which is how I found him. 
So how did how did Papa Bear Jill DaCosta link up with a minor character from Dawson's Creek? That's a hell of a connection. See, was he a big fan of the mole to begin with? Maybe he's part of the Discord groups? That would be the best revelation of all, I think, if he was just secretly doing first suspicions every year with us. <laughs> it's Brady from Dawson's Creek. Is he going to win the pool, the first suspicions? One other thing I've noticed is that the Papa Bear Jill DaCosta name that everyone abbreviates it to PBGDC when talking about him. I never noticed that until last week. Yeah, that's a me doing. I've done it for years and people have just picked it up. <laughs> Jill DaCosta must think, what the hell is with this Anglophone community for the mole? Why are all of these inside jokes that don't even exist within Flanders? I love the idea that he he's just vaguely aware of the bullshit that we talk. <laughs> and he's just like always on the verge of sending me an email just going, dude, seriously, pack it in now. Knock it off. I've been putting up with your shit for six years. So the episode title is There Ain't Nothing in Room 237, so stay out of Room 237 from The Shining. And it is day six in Sedona. And Ruben and Thomas are first up and read the note that Jill left while making them breakfast. With the Dexter theme. That's the cool thing about the Mole Belgia is that they can use the actual soundtrack and they can do a full-on parody that's true to form. So seeing Papa Bear Chill the Costa do his own version of the Dexter intro is probably one of the, one of the best things I think I've seen in reality TV. Just the love in this episode. All three of the challenges in this episode were wonderful. And this may be the sort of episode that if anyone went, oh, where should I start with Demol Belkia? This is the sort of episode you should watch. Because it is just pitch perfect bonkers television. I know the discussion has been had already in the past day or so since the subs went up as to whether this is the best Belgian mole episode ever. And I think it is certainly up there. We have one thing that I, th- I was thinking about, especially with taking notes down for the first time in a few months for a reality TV show, especially in the past few days of being back, I've been watching The Ultimate Fighter, catching up on Survivor 44, unfortunately. Well, I only watched a couple episodes of Big Brother Canada, mainly the disaster episodes. <laughs> and then, of course, just watching Vidim over the past couple months while I was gone the, the previous season. And... Just reaching the end of this episode today, I just forgot just how high the production value is, the the attention to detail that editors and production and Jill puts into it, and how by the end of it, at the end of the hour and 13 or hour and 14 minutes, you feel like you've watched a cinematic movie rather than an episode of a reality show. Even though we've we've watched so many seasons of this of this show, I still forget about that, just how how much effort is put into it, where, where you reach the end, you think you've watched a movie, but nope, it was just an episode of a reality show. It's just, that's the that's the gold standard that everyone else is failing to reach at the moment. Yeah, I think I've said this in previous seasons, but Demont Belkiri is especially special because it's the one show where if you said to me, oh, you're going to be watching an hour and 13 of television and being engrossed in it, I'd go, nah, not a chance. I'll be doing other stuff. I'll be playing games. I'll be sorting out podcast admin or something. But this show holds your attention no matter what. 
And even without subtitles, obviously, we are obviously getting some form of subtitles this year, but it's not the same ones that Natalia does. But even without subs, this show still absolutely holds my attention. I can watch, and did start watching this episode, with very limited subtitles and still understand 90% of it. And that's a fantastic show. Yeah, and I'm thinking about something like Australian Survivor. I haven't sat through a full episode of Australian Survivor since 2019, maybe 2020. And those usually run the hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes, I think, for an episode. They average around 70 minutes, same, roughly the same length as as a Belgian Mole episode. And I just can't do that with Australian Survivor for several years now, where I can't even sit through a single 70-minute episode. And with Belgian Mole, there's no issue doing that every single week. It just flies by. I mean, to be fair, the past few years, you've had to endure George getting 99% of the confessions. (laughs) Did you see the confessional table for last season? Yes, yes. I have seen them for the last two seasons, the last few seasons. 125, and the nearest was like 78. He had more than the other four people in the final five combined by the end of the season. Yeah. Because I pointed that out to people online, and then he nearly broke his own global record from two seasons prior. So Reuben and Thomas read Gilles' note and see that he's prepared a breakfast with a loss of love to make up for the boot camp experience. They're also warned that the red egg on their placemats is now their most precious possession. They must take care of it, as it will be very important on day seven. Yeah, treat it like it's your baby. Ruben suggests that he and Thomas hide the note from the others, so they won't know how precious the eggs are and break them immediately, but Thomas puts a stop to it. And once everyone has woken up, they establish that the eggs aren't even hard-boiled, and they get to decorate their eggs to make them a little more personal. Easter's next week! (laughs) It is! It's so beautifully timed, because this episode filmed on, like, November 8th, 9th, something like that. Can you imagine if that was the conversation at VR headquarters? Oh, when do we, you know, when do we start airing the Arizona season? Well, episode three has a whole Easter theme, so we need to air that the week, uh, the week before Easter. So they pull up to a rodeo arena where Gilles meets them, and he's looking for six show ponies and two grooms. Ruben says he's not into horses, so he wants to be a stable boy, just like in Bindle's fantasies. Everyone wants to do the stable boy role, but they pick Ruben and Lisa Lots to do it in the end. Which one would you have picked? Uh, I think I would be I would be one of the runners for sure. I wouldn't. I don't have stable hands. So I would think, oh, is it going to be a balance challenge or not having your hands shake? And I have shaky hands, so there's no way I would I would be one of the stable hands. So for these show ponies, there are horseshoes all around the arena, each with the name of either a famous horse or a rider written on them and they have to match the horses to the riders to earn money. There is just one problem, and he goes by the name of Skeeter. Skeeter will do his best Emmanuel Greaves impression and try and rope them, as he doesn't want them stealing his horseshoes. If that happens, they are out of the challenge, and there are ten pairs, and each correct pair is worth 200 euros for the pot. This challenge is why I think they may have listened to our Oregon historians. Because this is the exact challenge that Emmanuel Greaves owned at is not being roped when running through a rodeo course. Yeah, it was pretty much identical to that. I did make that observation. I thought you were talking about the other Emanuela from Argentina. No, just Emanuela Greaves. (laughs) I'm going to rope you. I'm going to rope you, that's right. Oh, I miss her. 
Yeah, so do I. She was a lot of fun. Just to back up a little bit she's to Ruben and she's not dead. Yeah, <laughs> episode. I think we do have to clarify. Emmanuel Greaves is not dead. She just went to prison for drug charges. Just. When Reuben and Thomas discuss what to do with the eggs, when Reuben says, oh, we should hide the note, and Thomas says not to do so, do you think Thomas suspects Reuben, and that's why he pushed back against his suggestion? Was Reuben trying to feel out if Thomas suspected him or not? Or was that just a completely innocent conversation without any mind games whatsoever? I think Reuben is a very interesting character, even by their standards, because he is inherently very suspicious. I mean, you had him very high up in first suspicion, so did I, and I think Mm -hmm. so did Bindles. But he's also a complete attention whore. He loves accidentally getting a lot of attention, and he's been the main focus of all three of these episodes, I would say. And I'm convinced that he's going to end up winning the season, because they're just showing so much hilarious Ruben content and so much unintentionally hilarious Ruben content. So I don't know whether he was just trying to sound Thomas out to see whether he suspects him, or whether it was just him going, hmm, this might make for entertaining television if nobody else knows about the X. Potentially just break the challenge that production has also carefully planned to run through the whole episode. Yeah, I think there is an element of enthusiasm for Ruben. I think there is also an element of him just wanting to troll a little. Who were your standout characters from the first two episodes as well? I meant to ask that. Was there anyone you particularly enjoyed in the first two episodes? Comfort is always is always amusing me. Layla with the driving challenge, <laughs> with how much everyone else was making fun of her. Lisa Lot, of course, with just... Well, seems like she always gets dealt a bad hand. And then Connie for being the... Uh, unintentionally hilarious older person that seems to occur on every season of The Mole in Belgia. Yeah, Connie was potentially the most suspicious of all of those sort of old people, I would say. They're never suspicious, but she kept doing things that were unintentionally very suspicious. Yeah, at the end of episode one, I had her rated really high, and then by the end of episode two, I thought, no... No, this isn't how a mole would play. And then especially this episode, it just reminded me of... Was it was it somebody from Vidim? Was there an older woman on Vidim this season? Uh, Fraukia? She was old. old. <laughs> no, not Fraukia. Yeah, somebody else who just... Who's played the mole recently, who just doesn't seem to understand the rules of some of the challenges and just completely screws it up every time. And Connie just went to that too too much of an extreme with that. And then something happened in episode two that made me, oh, because of how big of a deal they made with her reaction to the tape. That's when she dropped down to the bottom for me, where I'm thinking, why do they show confessional after confessional of people talking about Connie's reaction to the thing falling down? She's my bottom suspect right away. I think I was suspecting her even less than Samia, and Samia I discounted about 10 minutes into episode one. So they can leave their red eggs by the entrance and they get 30 minutes to make pairs. Comfort and Lancelot are the first pair and they start by shouting out the horses' names and there is a mysterious walkie-talkie in the middle of the arena. Hmm, wonder what that's going to get used for. I like how when they're reading out the names, Lancelot says Gandalf and then Connie says, what is that? What's a Gandalf? I mean, there is a non-zero chance I've not run the numbers, 
but there is a non-zero chance that Connie was alive when Tolkien was. <laughs> she went to high school with him. But it's just it's just hilarious with how popular Lord of the Rings was that because when you get older you dial out of pop culture and Lord of the Rings has been a part of mainstream pop culture for over twenty years now. And you have Connie there saying, What's a Gandalf? She's a maths teacher. Surely she can teach about the one ring. Surely she can use it to talk about like shapes and shit. Yeah, you think she would just overhear conversation of people talking about Lord of the Rings? Or just or somebody's passing a note in class and she intercepts the note. She's she's looking at the note saying, Oh, what is this Jandolf that you you kids are talking about? So Skeeter will only enter the arena when they've been walking around for a minute or as soon as one of them touches a horseshoe. Comfort grabs Lucky Luke and Lancelot Jelly Jumping. Jumping, not jumper. And they escape with their first two horseshoes. Reuben and Lancelot, as the stable boys, can earn them another 3,000 euros through coloured horseshoes, which don't have a name on them. And they have three mini challenges, each corresponding to one of the horseshoes. For the red horseshoe, they must use a lasso to catch a training calf, and an envelope with the name is attached to the calf. Lancelot then matches up Alexander the Great with his horse, Becophallus, which I'm pretty sure is someone in one of your monkey videos. And it's actually Bucephalus. Oh yeah, that's something I got diagnosed with when I was in Vietnam. I mean, I can't talk. I caught disease in Thailand when I went there. Yeah, oh, the swollen foot thing, that's right. Yeah, I, I came back from Thailand with an infection. From a, a UTIA, right? That was the a UTIA trip? It was indeed. And not even in a mucky way for once. Uh, but I hear bucephalus can be a real doozy. Yeah. You occasionally just go to the uh, go to the clinic and then get a text saying, lol, you got bucephalus. <laughs> yeah, your voice sounds very hoarse. It's not so great. So Toast and Thomas go out in search of it, and they almost run out of time. And I do have to also comment that Toast runs really weird. Yeah, he reminded me of somebody in a movie. There is one point where he runs like he's Indiana Jones running away from a boulder. (laughs) It's just kind of that wide-armed run where he's just looking behind him going, oh shit, he's coming after me. So the walkie-talkie is freely available to them to ask about the coloured horseshoes, but it is also dangerously close to Skeeter's start point, so they need to be careful. Connie and Lila are sent out third, and Connie goes looking for horseshoes while Lila goes for the walkie. In her enthusiasm, Connie picks up Amica's horseshoe, (laughs) and Skeeter comes riding. Obviously, Connie gets caught. Comfort, there's there's Amica! Look at this, why is this horse coming after me? It's better knowing now that Connie isn't the mole for certain. And that she is just a wonderfully silly, inept older woman on this show. Just going, oh, what happens if I do this? Yeah, shiny piece of tinfoil. At least she wasn't in the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. Everyone inside that cave would be dead in about two minutes if Connie was there. Forget about Abu. Abu is the least of your worries, so Connie goes in there with you. So Reuben finally ropes the training calf, and they get Jolly Jumper as the red horseshoe, the name of Lucky Luke's horse. Unfortunately, it's already been taken out of the game, and paired with Jolly Jumping. When Lancelot goes for the walkie-talkie, he asks for Reuben specifically, as presumably Lisa Lot is still mistrusted. Comfort then picks up another horseshoe without thinking, and Skeeter ropes her around the neck. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh, this is... Are, they, are we going to have another injury on the mobile here? I mean, I know he wasn't throwing them particularly hard deliberately, but we very nearly got her being clotheslined. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh, 
we were close to a quadriplegic situation, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that was tough to watch him thinking, oh no, this is the worst luck ever. <laughs> Why does this keep happening for Jill? We've managed to have a whole two episodes with an execution. Can we make it three? <laughs> yeah. Keep the streak alive. Keep the streak alive. I think in the production office of Belgian Mole, they do need to have one of those whiteboards that says three episodes since someone <laughs> actually got in. an accident, yeah. I even noted that at the end of the episode, I'm thinking three normal executions in a row. When's When's the last time that's happened? Well, it's got to have been, it's got to have been Germany. Yeah, because Nella, when did Nella, oh no, they had the weird execution at the start of last season, right? Yeah, so last season started with a proper execution, then it was the double, and then Nayla went home. Right, so that was episode three? Yep, Philippe quit in episode four, and then we had Bert going home in episode five, then we had Manu in episode yeah, six, Manu went, yeah. then Anka, or maybe Uma. Uh, knackering herself in episode seven, and then episode eight was the finale. So we didn't we didn't have more than three last season. Yeah. So this is or so I'm thinking production must be thinking. Oh, this is already off to a much better start than last time. I mean, when Matteo went home suggesting that he wanted to do bungee jumping, I bet all the production were like, "No, not happening this season, just in case." <laughs> we're not attaching them to anything. Yeah. There might be a rope tied to a horse to a person. That's about it. So Lancelot also brings back the news that they have missed out on 1,200 euros of horseshoes. For the white horseshoe, they must crack a whip over 90 decibels, and Lancelot manages it in one. The white horseshoe is for White, the name of Pippi Longstocking's horse. What's funny is I specifically wrote a note saying, oh, are they going to play the Whip It Good song when they try to crack the whip? And then I was disappointed that they didn't. And then we end up hearing it later on in the episode anyway. I presume they would have shown it if Lisa Lot wasn't so frigging good at cracking a whip. Yeah, just two seconds of the song. Oh, it's already done. It's like a ringtone. She's found her special skill. Accidentally. That should have been the duel. So Ruben tells Toast, but he hears Vitza, not Vitcher. Thomas and Toast take Meryl and Amica and get both back. For the blue horseshoe, they must do the water bottle flipping trick with boots and land five boots on the ground. In each boot is a letter spelling out the name of the blue horseshoe, and that is Zorro. Did you look up the uh, the TV show Amica on I- IMDb? I did not, because I knew you would. It doesn't look like it would be my type of show. It looks not... Not enough nudity. <laughs> Just didn't look that interesting. It's about horses. It's about horses and rich kids. It's not your sort of show because it doesn't air late night. It's not on cable. So the stable boys also have access to a literal mountain of horseshit, otherwise known as Netflix Mole, and inside are ten tags containing the correct combinations for them to find. I wish with Flip the Boot that there was a snake in there so they had an excuse to use the Toy Story um, Woody line. There's a snake in my boot. Well, we got... uh... We got a reference to Woody with Woody and Bullseye being one of the pairs. Yeah, I was surprised by that. He's a famous cowboy. Yeah, I didn't know he was that famous in, in Flanders. He is more famous than Matteo Simone, and that's the level we work out on this show. Less famous than Willie Summers, more famous than Matteo. <laughs> what about compared to Amica? Oh, he's way more famous than Amica. 
How well do you think you would have done with knowing everyone's horses? I think I would have done alright with some of them. Woody and Bullseye I would have got. I probably would have got the Gandalf one. Some of them were obviously a little more obscure for the non, non-Dutch non speaking community. Yeah, I would have had no idea with Amica or, or the Pippi Longstocking one. Yeah. I don't think I would have done as well as I maybe think I would. Yeah, I was thinking that that's not a bad idea for uh, for trivia questions uh, to think of all the protagonists' horses that they've used over time. That's something to study up on. Having said that, if I thought there was even a modicum of physical activity required for the non-stable boy role, I probably would have gone stable boy. Then I would have seen the mountain of shit and be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. You can start off. I will do anything for Mole, but I won't do that. And Reuben, much like me, just refuses to use his hands to dig through it. Yeah, I, I don't. I couldn't do that either. Too much of a germaphobe. So on the walkie-talkie, Lisa Lot starts just rattling off the combinations. <laughs> yeah, terrible strategy. <laughs> and Toast just has a wonderful reaction. He looks so put upon when he just starts hearing her rattling off combinations constantly. <laughs> Reuben then runs down the clock and Skeeter comes to toast, but he escapes. And he tries to rope Lila, but she's too thin and pretty much gives him the middle finger on television. Yeah, she she used the pinky. It's like an episode of Friends where they find a substitute of the middle finger for a TV. Fun fact, also our banner this week, because it did make me laugh the most in this episode. And Thomas also escapes the Lasso, and they get another pair. And they have four pairs with five minutes to go, but none of the thousand euro horseshoes paired up. Thomas asks whether Zora is red or blue, and they ask again, and he brings back Tornado as the correct pair. Lancelot looks for the blue one, but gets caught, and nobody seems to be able to find it, but Thomas then sprints it back, at which point they all reconvene, and Gilles reveals they got two correct pairs and a bonus one for a total of €1,400 of 5000 in the pot. What do you think about Lancelot as a character? Because as soon as this challenge ended, I thought, I have nothing to say about this guy through two and a third episodes or so, but everyone else is really jumping out as a character so far in the season. I struggle with Lancelot a lot because I think he is the most obvious mole candidate, but in much a similar vein as Yora, I don't want him to be the mole even though he's in my team because he is too obvious a mole for me. Do you think he's having fun with being there? He, he he seems to be like the only person who isn't enjoying these games. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be that enigmatic on camera. I think is the polite way to say it. Knowing full well that three of these seven people I'm probably going to end up meeting. I think he maybe isn't as extrovert as everyone else. Which is fine in a group. He takes it as seriously as Kathy did in Argentina. Yeah. Did you read the interview with Kathy about how she got trolled online, by the way? No, I did not. This was a couple of weeks ago. There was um, an article in a Belgian newspaper, I think it was, about mainly women who get trolled when they go on reality TV, and Kathy got interviewed for it. It's quite interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, because I saw the interview that, that was posted with the producers about the season, but I don't know, Kathy had done an interview recently, too. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't hear about it, given you were camping in her bushes for at least a month. <laughs> In Thessaloniki, yeah. My my tent couldn't fit in my carry-on, so it's still there outside of her house. So what was the Kathy stuff about? It was just about how she got trolled for being a bit intense. Anything specific with trolling? Just memes or hate mail? 
Oh, she got called every swear word under the sun. What? And twerp beat and tripping? What's? It's ridiculous. I think her basic argument is like, I live in Greece most of the year. I can at least have a bit of a buffer from it. And interestingly, haven't searched Kathy on the uh, Polish Bar Discord. A fuzzy orange actually said in the episode two thread for Demol Belkia, Lancelot is the Kathy of the season for me. Looks suspicious and has suspicious ideas, but red herring. Famous last words. Yeah, okay, so I'm not the only one who thinks that. Kathy's headline was, Luckily I lived in Greece and could distance myself from the reactions. She was harshly criticised on Facebook and Twitter for her image of a tough ant. That comment went a long way. Drive down a mountain, I hope you die, crawl into a pit and don't come out, or simply bitch. That's why she went off social media. Yeah. <laughs> That's why she's not the easiest person to track down anymore. So they start arguing afterwards, mainly with Toast, arguing with Lisa Lot for rattling off names, and Ruben for being incomprehensible. And interestingly, and I did notice this last week, but forgot to mention it, the cars are registered in California. Oh. They have California license plates. So they celebrate making money for the second day on the trots. Lisa Lot says she feels very accepted, even though she came to the group three days in. And Connie says that she forgets sometimes that someone is sabotaging in the group. Lancelot says Connie made another mistake in her incomparable way, and everyone just laughs it off. Toast is suspicious of Lancelot for driving the Lucky Luke answer, which then stopped them earning 1,200 euros. And it is day seven in Sedona, and the weather is, frankly, disgusting. Oh, we're just skipping over the whole Alan Jackson line dancing? I mean, at this point, we are an hour into this recording, and I am not even off the second page of my notes. <laughs> so they go to a bar with shuffleboard, and they do, and then they line dance to a song by Alan Jackson. And Thomas sees uh, American cops on the side of the road for the first time. What's he hiding? Yeah, I mean, you're not likely to see that many people in Arizona in November, I suspect. Most people won't be out at that point. The, yeah, they would have the bar to themselves, I'm pretty sure. Otherwise, there'd be people jumping and saying, that's not how you line dance in these parts. Otherwise, people would just be coming up to Papaver and going, are you filming Demolbelkia? I knew it. <laughs> We've been expecting you. No, uh, I'm filming a documentary again. <laughs> yeah, about people line dancing in Arizona. <laughs> so it is day seven in Sedona. Have you been to Sedona out of interest? I have not been to Arizona, but uh, lots and lots and lots of Canadians go live there for six months during the winter. It's either they go there or to uh, Puerto Vallarta in Mexico, typically. Those are the two most popular winter destinations. Yeah, I've been to Sedona. I went through it on my way to uh, to stay near Phoenix and then onto the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah. My 12-day tour around California, Arizona, Utah, Nevada. Did you like it? Uh, it was an interesting place. It's very hippie-ish. We didn't stay there. We stayed uh, just outside of Phoenix in a place called Fort Liddell. But we were there for the afternoon, and it was it was an experience. Oh, so you got to do the family edition locations. Oh, yes. Amazing Race family edition, that is. Not Demolbelkia family edition. That's next season. <laughs> yeah. So the weather's horrid. Lisa Lott and Connie clean up the mess of the night before, and it sounds like there may be some sore heads. And Reuben, continuing his theme of being half-naked just to tempt David Bindley, was apparently back in the jacuzzi the night before. It's. I think everyone had a hangover except for Lisa Lott and Connie. And Connie is the only egg who's broken at this point as well. Yeah, the sober person breaks the egg. 
That's that's how it usually works. Common stereotype. And as they're about to leave, Lancelot realizes his egg is missing, even though it was on his cap for most of the night. And there may have been some sabotage. It's like the scene from Arrested Development. Have you seen that scene with Tobias with his hard-boiled eggs? You can't just get worked up over everything. Where the hell are my eggs? (laughs) (laughs) And as they drive off, we see that it is smashed behind a rock. (laughs) Yeah. More like Smash-A-Lot for Lancelot. Jill meets them at the Sedona Red Rocks, and he says that apparently God created the Grand Canyon, but he lives in Sedona. And they will get to see the landscape of the Red Rocks while collecting eggs. That sounds like something a hippie cult would say. If God created Arizona, but he's living here in Sedona. Put it this way, it very much fits the vibe of Sedona that I experienced. And just to gloat a bit, I did say in our premiere recap that day one was probably November 3rd because of the snowy weather, and I did look up the weather forecast for Sedona in November, and there was one day, which was day seven, that it was rainy, and that was November 9th, which means my suspicion of day one being November 3rd was correct. That is truly impressive. I've really gotten into looking into the weather and trying to work out filming dates now. It's fun. <laughs> wonder if production was annoyed, considering they are in the middle of a desert and they nearly got rained out for the day. In the one place where there's not supposed to be any rain. Yeah, it's hilarious that you think of Arizona as being really dry, but in the space of a week of this show, we've had snow, we've had blazing sun, because it got up to about 20 degrees Celsius on day six, and now we've had Buck seeing it down rain. And Lancelot lost his egg. Oh, he didn't have an earth. <laughs> Well, did not expect the French translation to to happen there. <laughs> so Gilles is looking for two people to collect eggs by showing blind trust in each other, three to collect them in a handy way, although not in a Logan Saunders way, and three with the insight of an engineer. The way that they had the weird pockets there that some of the people were tucking the eggs as if it was the third testicle, it was very odd. This challenge was utterly impossible to win. It is a small miracle that they even managed to earn any money in this challenge, even though it was worth up to 5000 I think, Jill, this is one of those challenges where entertaining the audience and entertaining the players is more of the goal rather than earning any money. We see that every now and then where, you know, they're not going to earn much, if anything. They may even lose some, but it's just such a ridiculous challenge to that production gets forgiven for it. This is one of those times. See also Carpool Karaoke, where they only did it because it was a good pun, but it was impossible to win. Or uh, the last challenge they did in Vidim at the very end of last season with the clothes in the speedboat there. That they, they weren't winning that, and, and they just couldn't stop laughing for the entire duration of the challenge. They did not care about whether or not that challenge succeeded or not. How would you have liked to uh, to collect eggs in their position? Would you have wanted to show blind trust, do something handy, or be an engineer? I probably wouldn't do the engineer one. It would have been one of the other two. The blind trust one would be intriguing, because it would probably be something that's really daring. At first, I would think, oh, that sounds like a risky task. And then the handy one would probably would sound like the safest bet overall. Or just if knowing how pissed off Lancelot was, the other idea would be, 
I just don't want to be in the same group as Lancelot uh, today until he gets over his shattered egg. So Lila and Lancelot are the blind trust team. Toast, Thomas and Comfort are handy, and Connie, Ruben and Lancelot are the engineers. There are 400 eggs to collect, each worth 10 euros, and the money is only earned if their eggs survive the day unscathed, and each of them are given beautiful overalls to wear and carry. They can also carry their red eggs in their special pockets, and each person's pocket is in a different place. They only earn their money if the red egg is intact, and as Lancelot and Connie have broken theirs, Zio offers them a replacement at a cost of 250 euros per egg. Well, a year ago, uh, there was that really bad flooding in Abbotsford near Vancouver, which is where all of the where all of the farmland is, and lots of all that all of our dairy products come from. So. The inflation on dairy products is really getting out of hand uh, in North America. Yeah, can I also point out that even if Lancelot and Connie had done absolutely perfectly in this challenge, they'd already cost themselves half of their potential winnings by having to buy another red egg. Did they have the option to say, "No, we're not going to buy. We're not going to. We're not going to replace our eggs." No, they had to participate. That makes sense with the structure of the challenges. I guess they weren't; they wouldn't be allowed to sit out, or or could they be allowed to play but just not be able to bring in any money? Yeah, because each person was allowed fifty eggs, and they immediately had a twenty-five egg penalty by having to buy the red eggs. I bet Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. This is probably his favorite challenge of all time. And they only have a limited amount of time to do their mini challenges, and they have to board a jeep to get to the end. Lila and Lisa Lotz must guide each other blindfolded to eggs on poles. Each egg that they collect is worth four eggs that they can then take to the jeep. Another brilliant moment here is Lisa Lot clarifying the language barrier, as she seems to want to speak English, and Lila asks for Dutch, but standard Dutch only. Stand, yeah, proper Dutch. I'm sure the Belgian public love to hear that statement. Yeah, let's only speak proper Dutch. Ooh. And you thought Kathy had a hard time with the public. And whoever is guiding must hold an egg cup between their teeth just to make it a bit harder to communicate. They must... Uh, I'm guessing production has probably played that one uh, that one game where you put something in your mouth and you try to communicate with somebody else. You're just asking for me to make jokes when you make the comments like that. I know, but that's that's what the board game is. It's really, it was really popular a year or two years ago. You mean the plastic things that you put in your mouth? Yes. That holds your lips back. Yes. So you're trying to communicate while your lips are open. You're the one that's being suggestive right now, Michael, not me. You're the one with a dirty mind. I'm being perfectly innocent here. Well, how else am I supposed to describe that game? There's no other... <laughs> I'm glad you're back. Because <laughs> you know as well as I do, Bindles would have seized on that comment way faster than I did. <laughs> and then while all of this is going on, Lancelot is still ranting about his damn egg. Yeah. I mean, Lancelot's such a weird character. I'm fascinated to find out what the story actually is with him, whether he is the mole or not. Because he is very Cathy Lyon. Mm-hmm. Just, the way he was glaring at two... He was glaring at twos in the car, right? Yeah, he takes everything super personally. I wonder how he would deal with online trolls. Probably not, probably not the best. So Comfort, Thomas and Toast must throw eggs to each other over the greatest distance possible. Each line that they cross is worth 5 eggs, up to a maximum of 50. However, they must achieve it in a chain. If the egg breaks, they have to start all over again. It's like the ladder format for who wants to be millionaire, just converted to egg tossing. It's the weakest link. 
because they have to go up the chain and then bank when they're when they're feeling safe. Yes, that's a better analogy because there's no lifelines in uh, Weakest Link. So when throwing the egg to Thomas, Toast's red egg breaks and he's worth absolutely nothing already. Thomas goes for 30 eggs, but it then breaks. And Lila tells Lisa Lot to grab an egg at the level of her boobies. And they know the jeep is coming. So Lila stops at three and Lisa Lot at five for a total of 32 eggs between them. Connie, Reuben and Lancelot haven't even started their challenge yet. And Connie's new red egg has already broken. And they have to build a system to drop eggs from two meter height without them breaking. That would be nerve wracking. And their first basket contains a ball, duct tape, and popcorn. Thomas cashes out at 25 eggs, while Comfort smashes hers at 10. Lisa Lot and Lila arrive at their stop just in time, with 26 eggs remaining, then 25, and then Jill gives up in the best voiceover joke they've ever done on this show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They, They made it to the pink Jeep. Do you think the overalls were the another reason why this episode had to air this week, not just because of Easter, but when they knew overalls were going to be involved, they thought, well, the Super Mario Brothers movie comes out that week, too. It does. I'm going to see it on Thursday. The Rotten Tomatoes score is currently rotten, and I'm still going to see it. <laughs> oh, what's the Rotten Tomatoes score? 48, I think it was when I checked earlier. Well, it's definitely a higher score than the last Super Mario Brothers movie from the 80s. Or from 90 or 91, whenever the hell that came out. I guess 91? So they keep getting stuck at 20 when thrown for Comfort, and she cashes out just in time. Thomas takes 25, Comfort takes 20, and Toast takes absolutely nothing. The engineers then create a Tower of Cups as well as the Popcorn Ball. Both survive the landing, meaning each of them can claim 20x. The handy team then board the Jeep, and Thomas looks ashamed when he sees Lisa and Lila. Once they're on the Jeep, they can't touch the eggs, and Comforts falls. That, that was that seemed just as tough as doing the tasks themselves, trying to fit everyone in there without crushing any other eggs. Especially with the Jeep driver driving like a maniac over rough terrain. It reminded me of being in Sri Lanka all over again. Well, that's the thing. Those Jeep tours are a real thing. The pink Jeep tours are a genuine thing in that area of the world. Because I googled it last night. Just to make sure. Why are they pink? It's just branding. Kind of like in Bangkok with the pink taxis? Yeah, it's just what they do. The best attempt at the engineer task, though, has to go to Lancelot and his straw construction, which is just throwing a bunch of straws off a, off a cliff and being surprised when the egg breaks in them. Maybe that's how his egg broke, or how his egg disappeared. He just, just threw it in straw and threw it 20 feet away, and he thought, oh, where the hell is my egg? And then Reuben saves the last egg by using tights in a box. And then Lancelot breaks Reuben's red egg by being a bit overzealous when celebrating. <laughs> yeah, that was the best one. <laughs> Thinking that would be a hell of a mole sabotage to to get money out of the pot because you were showboating after thinking you had succeeded. I would like to think that if Lancelot was the mole, they wouldn't be showing us all of this stuff. Yeah, good job! Not again. <laughs> So Lila, Lancelot, and Lancelot are the only three with red eggs left as they reach the end. Lancelot delivers 20, Lila 2, and Lancelot 7 for a total of 290 euros of 4,000, less the 500 penalty. It should have been 300 euros, but Thomas was helping Lila and managed to drop one on the floor when he was transporting it. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> just dropping in into the bucket in front of Jill. Um, Papa Bear, does that one still count? 
I think everyone wanted to find creative ways to draw suspicion upon themselves because the eggs weren't worth that much. So it's just, oh, look look at this ridiculous way I broke this egg. Is anyone going to suspect me now? Yeah, this challenge was so unbelievably difficult. And I kind of love how nonsense it was. (laughs) And at this point, I took note, Lancelot and Connie have lost a lot of money this episode. Yeah. And we haven't had one of these for a little while, but in a wonderful Gilles de Costa dick moment, he announces to the group that there will be no elimination tonight. However, there will be one tomorrow morning. As soon as he said that, I thought, we're having a late night challenge. <laughs> Just the when you, when you word it that way, there's a humongous catch to it. Yeah, Gilles is the master of the classic not lying when he says things like that. See also the Drunk Museum heist and the Your Next Challenge Won't Be Till Tomorrow, so enjoy as much alcohol as you want with my card. But when 12.01am hits... Your next challenge is right now. (laughs) So the group then leaves the donor to head towards Tucson, and Lisa Lot hits a pothole. Yeah, she nearly broke the car. You would think it was another case of trying to be last to a destination, just like last episode. Can you imagine if they had to delay this this nighttime challenge because Lisa Lot broke her car? <laughs> I thought I would be able to watch the rest of the videos. And Thomas asks in his car whether Lila, Comfort, and Connie have just one main suspect already. He says he knows who he would pick if he was forced to, but the other three remain fairly tight-lipped. And they're spending the night in a typical motel halfway to Tucson, two to a room. Comfort and Lancelot, Lila and Reuben... Thomas and Lisa Lot and Thomas and Connie are the pairs. Yeah, they chose co. They they went out of their way to choose co-ed pairs this time, right? Yeah, they did, and two of them had to share a bed. There was two rooms with just one double bed and two rooms with two. Right. And as soon as Reuben walks into his room, he spots the mole logo on the TV and gets worried. Connie, however, just turns the screen off. What else is on? <laughs> is March Madness still going on? In November? Have we got HBO here? Yeah. Netflix? I really want to catch up with the nice John Oliver. <laughs> He's so funny. I wonder if they have that in the States. I wonder what Americans think of John Oliver. Do they get Lou back on Sunday here? Hey, hey, Thomas. They got reruns of Madlock. Madlock. How did I know you were going to say Matlock? Because <laughs> that's my dad's go-to show and it was on this morning. <laughs> It's your default old person show. It is. I don't know anybody under the age of 70 who watches Matlock. As soon as you started going, oh, I wonder what else is on, I'm just thinking, he's going to say Matlock soon. <laughs> but it's true. I. What's the other default old person show other than something in daytime television? Yeah, it would be just loads of daytime TV in the UK. Yeah, Judge Judy, I don't know. Even she's on Amazon now. Oh, that's right. She is. Yeah, old people can't watch her anymore, then. Because Moonvest wouldn't pay her her money. So room service arrive with a cloche and a card, and the cloche contains a red button, and the card tells them that there is a loss of money and much more to be found in room 110. But only one pair can escape their currently locked rooms. They are also warned that choosing selfishly is never without risk. I really like this element of advantages this season. 
As soon as they choose for themselves, do they suddenly get the board game risk delivered to their room? Yeah. It's never it never comes without risk. Here you go. And inside just one of the counters is one of the Pasfragan that Yoko is trying to burn. So Connie and Thomas decide to go for the advantages no matter the risk, as they both want to stay in the game. Toast presses a button and a one minute timer begins showing that their room door will open after the timer expires. Everyone else's screen shows that another door will open, but when they press the red button, it resets the timer for everyone else, and the door that will unlock becomes theirs. I'm surprised nobody found the envelope under the blankets. How do you think you would have done with this challenge? I would be calling everybody else right from... I was surprised how long they waited to call the other rooms. I would just be thinking, there's more to this challenge, I just can't quite figure it out yet and try to just use whatever was at my disposal rather than just hovering over the red button constantly. Yeah, I know people were really excited that they had a failsafe in there and it wasn't going to go all night. But I sort of like the risk of if it went all night, they would be very sleep deprived for the test the next morning. And even if they were the ones to leave the room, how much of an advantage would they have in their state? Yeah, exactly. I think it would have been very interesting to make people be sleep deprived. Although probably the only reason they didn't do it is because they've still got a drive to Tucson the next day. And if you thought Lisa lot was it was bad for her to drive over that pothole, imagine imagine the big drive after not sleeping all night. Yeah. So Toast and Lot talk about letting everyone scrap amongst themselves, as they've already faced the consequences of their own selfishness. Lila says everyone would go for Pasfragen, but she and Ruben have to make sure that they are the ones who earn them. They can ring each other and negotiate. Toast and Lot claim to Ruben and Lila that they will go for money, but Ruben doesn't believe them. Thomas even admits that he and Connie will go for advantages if they are allowed to be free. And now Whippet Good plays. After the button has been pressed a hundred times, there is a failsafe, a 15-minute timer for a quote-unquote power nap. Lancelot and Comfort are the first to find the card in the bed, saying that if there isn't a consensus, the pair who have pushed the button least will be the ones that are freed. They were warned that choosing selfishly will have its consequences. Comfort and Lancelot then ring Toast and Lot and talk about the notes, and Toast and Lot claim to have only pushed once, thanks to their experience of consequences in this show. However, we are told that Lancelot and Comfort have pushed the button 35 times, Connie and Thomas an amazing 47. <laughs> they were just spamming. They were just spamming the red button. Well, that's the thing. Like, Neither of them really gave a shit at this point. They just wanted to keep pushing the button because it was there. Yeah, it's fun. But 47 of, in the end, 101 times, it was Connie and Thomas pushing it. That's impressive. Toast and Lisa Lot had pushed it nine times, and Ruben and Lila ten times. I was surprised how close it was for who pushed it the least. I think that shows who the savvier players are. Well, Ruben and Lila have been the most suspicious since the beginning. Yeah, because Toast and Lisa Lot obviously have faced the consequences of their own selfishness. But Ruben and Lila are both very, very savvy people, from what we've seen in two and a half episodes at this point. I'm expecting both of them to make it to the finale. Yeah. The finale. The finale. I mean, he is the last Ruben we had on Mole. But yeah, they're both very laser-focused and both thinking about the metagame, I think, of this show. So I I wasn't surprised by who the, the bottom two were in terms of numbers of pushes. 
I mean, I very much wasn't surprised by Connie and Thomas pushing it 47 times. Yeah, that's almost 50 times. Because I think the mole's best place here is to try and be the least push, get into the room, and convince whoever their partner is to also take an exemption. Yeah, either do two or zero exemptions, for sure. Lila thinks that they're the lowest, so she doesn't want Ruben speaking to Thomas, and she does end up hanging up Ruben's call with Thomas when he just won't listen to her. <laughs> yeah, keeps hanging. You hang up. No, you hang up. The next step was to duct tape Ruben's mouth at that point. She really, really did not want Ruben to give away any sort of information to the other pairs. It was like watching The Amazing Race. So the 15-minute timer doesn't stop the one-minute timer, so someone still has to push every minute. Ruben pushes it for the final time, guaranteeing that it will be Toast and Lisa Lot who visit room 110. That came down to less than a second. Because Toos was... He, he was really risky there. Yeah, and this is a sliding doors moment, because it was Thomas and Connie, I think, who had the last push at that point. And they absolutely both would have taken the exemption, meaning that we wouldn't have had Connie go home here. Yeah. So it's a sliding doors moment to to say that Ruben's pushing the button did get the group money in the end, but also guaranteed Connie would go home. So at 3am, their TV turns itself on again. They face a choice. If both of them want an exemption, then it is worth nothing to the pot. If no one wants an exemption, it is €2,000. But if just one of them takes an exemption, it's worth €5,000 to the pot. Lot is definitely going through some form of PTSD with the exemption. There was no way she was taking it. No. And I think in their position, especially with it being Toast and Lisa Lot, I think if I were Toast, I would have just pushed Lisa Lot to take the exemption and say, I got one last time, it's your turn. Yeah, then you earn 5,000 euros. But the fact that Lisa Lot said, no, no way. Toast should have just taken the, he should have just taken the one and then put all that money into the pot. So, and that was, that's a difference of 3,000 euros there. So, you could argue that was the biggest sabotage of the whole episode was Two's not taking that exemption because he kept 3,000 euros out of the pot while doing so. And I have to say as well, when it comes to Room 110 with the beds and the floor and everything being lined with exemptions, that is a mole fan's dream because we have been talking for years about how we want one of those, to quote Gilles de Costa, worthless wooden cards. I want one of those exemptions. But also a couple of people on Bothers Bar did spot the same thing I did, in that none of those cards had the word exemption on them. They had the thumbprint, but none of them said exemption on them. So it could have been a trick? I think it was either a trick, and they would have found out they still have to take the test if they've got one of the blank cards, or in that big menagerie of exemptions, there were two that said the word exemption on them, and those were the exemptions. Yeah, they could have just glanced over that since nobody took the exemption anyway. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a case of them sneaking the exemptions away as is the discussion here that they could just, you know, lean down, pretend to tie the shoelaces and pocket one. But it's also that they have to go searching for the correct one, I think. I think that was probably the element of this that we didn't see. Yeah. Does Are you suspecting twos now more after him not taking that exemption? Now that he's responsible for 3,000 euros being kept out of the pot? Him and Lisa Lot both shot on my list this week as a result of that. Because they were both very suspicious. They both played that like a mole would. 
But if you were the if you were the mole and you had Lee Slot in there with you and you knew there was no way you could convince her to take an exemption, the only real reaction is to say, Oh, I'm playing for the I'm playing for the group by not taking the exemption for myself, but I'm also keeping three thousand euros out of the pot. Yeah, if you're in Toasty's position as the mole, then you minimize your losses and go, Well, at least I'll stop some money going into the pot here. And if Toos isn't the mole, do you think that people would not want to work with him since he gets two exemptions in the first three rounds of the game? Oh yeah, there's no way in hell that he gets any information off anyone apart from Lisa Lot in future rounds. Yeah, it's tough, because he would do something that both the mole and the contestant would do in that scenario. It's a fascinating dilemma. I love this challenge so much. Yeah, it was really well thought out, just the way to make it not go too late, but also not feel like they were half-assing it by minimizing how long the challenge would go on for. Yeah. So it's day eight in Cottonwood, and everyone meets up for breakfast, except Lisa Lot and Toast. Neither of them picked an exemption, meaning they earned 2,000 euros of 5,000 for the challenge, 3,190 of 14,000 for the episode, and 9,520 of 42,500 euros for the season so far. 42,000 how much? 42,500. And I was about to say, I already know that Logan's about to be typing those numbers into his spreadsheet. Because <laughs> we've done hundreds of these episodes at this point. It is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Unsurprisingly, no one has an exemption, despite Toast and Lisa Lot having the option. Toast regrets his decision. He thought about the team, but you realise it is the ticket to the next round. Thomas thought that Toast's behaviour was strange. Lisa Lot wouldn't have taken one, so that was an easy 5,000 euros to earn if he did. If Lancelot was Toast, he would have taken the exemption and the 5k. Connie says that Thomas was better at the calls than her, but he's also a bit manipulative. Ruben says Connie was a liability in the egg challenge. It was super suspicious. Who buys an egg to then break it? Connie says Lancelot was the only one whose egg just disappeared. The first thing that they heard at the challenge was that it would cost money, so that sounds like a sabotage to her. Thomas thought Lancelot may have sabotaged his own egg, but he doesn't suspect Lancelot. Lila says Lancelot did very well at the blindfold challenge, but the mole can easily break eggs on the ride and just win favour by doing well at the mini challenge. And Lancelot says that Thomas had 25 eggs, but it's easy to sit on your own red egg. Because the location budget of this season went to all the like beautiful scenery and everything, they have to do the execution in the parking lot. And Jill tells them they're off to Tucson with 9,520 euros in the pot, thanks to Lancelot and Toast even without a jewel. So, Lisa Lot and Ruben all get green screens before Connie is the third person to see a red one. I'm surprised when uh, when she was executed that the Lethal Weapon soundtrack didn't start playing and that Jill said, oh, Connie, you, you got the lowest score. You can go suck an egg. I'm genuinely a little bit sad that Connie went because even by useless old woman standards, she was great. She picked up the horseshoe. That was that was by far the funniest moment of the whole episode. She had no fear when it came to doing any of these challenges. As I think it was Thomas said in the end, like she was just hanging with the twenty and thirty year olds. She fit in with the group really well. It wasn't like Manuela, for instance. Yeah, she she just felt like a good part of the group. And it, it helped that she found a kindred spirit in Thomas, given that they're both teachers and both you know, a bit weird. Yeah, she fit in so well with the group. It was like they were all 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 friends, even with them being in their twenties and thirties. You could even you could have even had Noah. 
And nobody would be saying, oh, Noah, is that your grandmother? No, it's it's your friend Connie. Yeah, she's a massive loss to the season. I mean, was she suspicious? Maybe she got a little bit suspicious in this episode, just for doing things without thinking. But I don't think she was that suspicious overall. Yeah, she wasn't She wasn't suspicious at all. It was just everyone thought, is she just going to keep doing this the whole season? Is this just, is this just the perfect cover? Because that's what happens whenever you get a Connie on the season or... Nella or Manuela or Ingrid. Ingrid, I guess, would be the biggest one. Or who do we have? We what was it? Pascal and uh, Katrine. Katrine. That's what I thought her name was. But then I was thinking, wait, am I mixing her up with another Katrine? <laughs> with with Greece or Germany, I guess. Yeah, she says she had tunnel vision and went too hard too fast. She switched tactics and it was the wrong move and put a lot of questions on one person, although she didn't go all in. It sounded, yeah, she said that once the quiz started, she just completely spontaneously switched her quiz-taking strategy and who she suspected just at the 11th hour, just deviated from the game plan completely. You hear that with with the uh, mixed martial artists in the UFC and other promotions where the coaches have drilled the game plan into them before they fight. And then once they get into the octagon, they just shut everything else out and, compl- and just don't follow the game plan that would have for sure guaranteed them the victory. And it sounds like that's what happened to Connie here, because as soon as she's walking with Papa Bear, Jill DaCosta, She's really upset with herself, saying, oh, it was complete tunnel busy. I had the game plan. I knew it was going to survive the execution. And I just threw that out the window as soon as I saw the first question appear. So always follow the game plan, folks. I know it's easier said than done, but it sounds like Connie was a big victim of it. At least it wasn't premeditated tunnel busy like with Yan in Vidim. In uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua. Yeah. Where... Uh... He just says, yeah, I'm going to go all in on one suspect from the first quiz. And because I survived the first execution, I'm just going to do that the whole time. At least it's Connie. She said, yeah, I just really screwed that up, even though I knew not to do that as I was taking the quiz. Lisa Lott says that Connie danced through life and brought everyone along with her. She'll miss Thomas especially. Her highlight was succeeding at the running last week, and she tears up as she leaves the show. And then Lancelot says... Seriously, guys, who the hell broke my egg? And with Connie's execution, Arizona now officially has had more executions than Canary Islands. Wow. Next time, bunkers, bicycles, blindfolds and bingo as everyone gets up close and personal with the wildlife of Tucson, Arizona. That sounds like a Bindles uh, outro. It really does. You should hear the outros he has been doing. A lot of them are about you. (laughs) I, I guess I know what I'm doing over the next few days then. I'm just going to get messages off you being like, dude, you can't say that. <laughs> so with Connie going home, you lose your first team member, leaving you with Ruben, Lila and Thomas. And I still have Lancelot, Comfort, Toast and Lot. On first suspicions, one person, Bram, lost his first impression with Connie going home. Bindles and Femke on first impressions both had her in 10th. And six people, Walter and Anastasia on first impressions and Jack, April Bride, Ollie and me have the lowest score of 30 currently. The current highest score is 40, scored by two people. Interestingly, one of those is my first impressions list. So I'm currently both losing and winning at my own game. The adjusted average is now Ruben, then Lila, then Lancelot, and then Comfort, swapped from last week. 
Thomas, Toast, and Lot. Oh, that's the exact order of my suspicions, pretty much. And as always, you can do the voles of our suspect list each week at suspectlist.rtvwarriors.com or the link in our bio. On the subject of your suspicions, who do you suspect? So from top to bottom, Lila, then Ruben, then Lancelot, then Comfort, then Thomas, then Toos, then Lot. That is almost identical to the current adjusted order on first suspicions. Yeah. Interesting. I'm I'm the status quo. And my suspicions, at least of the time of recording, are Comfort, then Lancelot, then Lot, then Tos, Reuben, Lila, and then Thomas. Oh, so you have, you have Layla way down at the bottom now. Yeah, I suspected her quite early on, but she didn't really do any suspicious things this week. Yeah, it's tough when you have Connie's farewell episode and all of Connie's antics, and then Toos and Lot with their dilemma, and then Lancelot freaking over his egg. The most suspicious thing that Lila did was not really pick up any eggs on the egg walk when she was doing the blind trust assignment, but we didn't see any of that. She wasn't made out to be suspicious this week. And it's really interesting because usually with Vidim we get the, the app scores each week and you can see it on the website. Belkian never really does that. But what they do instead is every Wednesday they release the last week's suspicions of Belgium according to their website. So the last mm-hmm. week's ones after two weeks were Lila going worst to first with 17.7%, followed by Ruben on 173 Lancelot on 156 Lisa Lot 13.1%, Toast on 112 Comfort 96 Thomas 88 and then Connie in last on 67 hmm. Bearing in mind that Lancelot won the previous week's poll with 22.7%, and he and Ruben were both like hovering around 22%. They both went way down this week. Interesting. So no, so other than the obvious bottom three people that we had from the beginning with uh, Steve Teo, uh, Samia, and Connie, everyone else has been switching switching the standings quite frequently. Yeah, it'll be interesting tomorrow as of the time of recording to see what the week three ones are. Yeah. Final question from me. Who do you think is going home next week? Next week? <sighs> Maybe Lisa Lot. I mean, we've predicted Lisa Lot going home every single week so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is my first time here. <laughs> I think she's going to be gone next. Yeah, I, I think it's probably ironically between Lisa Lot and Thomas, to be honest. I think last week we predicted either Connie or Lisa Lot, and that half came true. So I'm going to go Lisa Lot and Thomas. Because Thomas could go, that would be hilarious in terms of the dead weight of the season, I think. It's great to watch three episodes and not see anybody quit in contrast to Survivor and Big Brother Canada. Yeah, I mean, Big Brother Canada has been a delightful mess this season already. You got anything else you want to say? Nope. It's good to be back. It is good to have you back, and God, we've gone for a long time, so this is going to be a fun edit for me. So, thank you for listening to our Demolvelkia Season 11 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the newest mole in Arizona. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsquacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Don't forget you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill until the next flavoring.